You're listening to Origin Point with Heidi and Jake. So, Heidi, how did your forecasts turn out? Well, if I can remember correctly, my forecast was that I would work on some more pottery and complete a bunch of 3D prints. The 3D printer did a lot of work. I, unfortunately, I don't think that I did a whole lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw that you uh, you were too uh, too busy slipping and sliding around to do any work. I was really, <laughs> I was busy watching people slip and slide. I chickened out and I did not actually go down the ginormous slip and slide. <laughs> <laughs> what Jake is uh, referring to is um, friends of ours in the maker community put on an annual picnic bash slash slip and slide party in upstate New York, which is about an eight and a half hour drive for us. So I didn't realize it was that far. Yeah. Yeah. So we, what was it on Thursday afternoon left and drove up to the Finger Lakes in New York, Mm -hmm. which is about a five and a half hour drive, give or take with a toddler in the car, you know, you gotta stop quite a bit more than just two adults. Um, we camped out on Thursday nights, camped out Friday nights, and then drove the other, you know, three, three and a half hours to Tony's place on Saturday. And uh, I'll tell you what, you know, this this community is just, it's awesome. And it yeah. was so wonderful to hang out with so many really great creative people and just kind of talk shop and feel really relaxed. And and then, you know, the kicker at the end of the night was um, Jimmy DeResta came with uh, his girlfriend and they also brought a friend of theirs from Nashville who was in town visiting and she brought her fiddle. So, oh, cool. yeah, I got to sing with her a little bit, which was a lot of fun. And there were some awesome. recordings floating around. I'll see if I can find <laughs> the link on our Facebook page or on our um, on our website so people can hear. But she was absolutely stunning and so incredible and I think the highlight of my time there was actually being able to sell and hand out some of my pottery and uh, oh that's cool yeah Jimmy took a piece home with Taylor Taylor picked it out Natalie the singer I swapped her a piece of pottery for a CD sweet so we had something to listen to on the way back and awesome. Yeah, it was great. It, I mean, we, we couldn't have asked for better weather, better company. Mackenzie and Tony were just so welcoming with their house, and you know, we got to camp out there, so didn't have to worry about driving anywhere in the middle of the night. Just got up early and drove home. Yeah, that definitely seems like it'd be a fun event to go to at some point. Uh, I, I would I would love to, but it would take me eight hours just to get out of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't want to add the rest of the trip. It'd be a week-long trek for me to, to drive up there. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so. But that definitely is on my list of things to do in the maker community one year. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. It, it just was... It was so laid back and everybody was there with their families and, you know, yeah. doing this ruckus crazy thing. We had a, a tool swap. So people brought tools that they didn't use anymore and you could just take what you needed. And some people brought yeah. wood and some people brought cutoffs and um, some people awesome. swapped projects, which was cool. Like they custom oh, made something cool. for each other and then they swapped them there. So it was, it was a lot more intimate than like your typical maker event because it was like... I don't know how to explain it. Have you been? You've been to a maker fair before, right? I've been to a maker fair before, but I wouldn't say I've been to one. I've been as a observer, more mm-hmm. so to speak, and I didn't really do any meetup type stuff. I'd like to. I know that the uh, maker fair here in Houston just dropped the mini title last year. Oh. So this this year is the first year, or no, this year will be the second year that they're gonna have the uh, maker fair where it's not a mini maker fair anymore. And I know that the the maker community here in Houston is growing quite a bit and there's a lot more like content create creating makers in Houston that are starting to attend now and so that's really driving I think the uh, more of the the content creation mm-hmm. makers that uh, for a meetup and things like that yeah. so I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to jump in on that this year I think it happens in October so we went to New York City Maker Fair last year and mm-hmm. um, we went to a couple other maker meetup events at like bars and those kind of things. And yeah, that's always fun, but you don't really get as much interaction as what we were able to get, um, at a function like the one that we went to this past weekend. Yeah. Probably a little more laid back, you know, like hanging out in the backyard. Yeah. Versus at a bar where there's tons of other people there who aren't involved in the meetup and it's loud and things like that. Everybody's coming and going at different times, but cool. 
Yeah. Yeah. How about you? How what did your forecast resolve to? So on the cabinet, I finally got everything put together and I wound up uh, making some of the custom bumpers for the barn. It was a sliding barn door cabinet. And so it comes with some brackets, but the brackets take up about three inches of real estate on the bar. And so I actually custom made some bumpers that don't take up, they take up about a quarter inch of real estate. Instead, it gives me more bar length. So it doesn't, the, 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 the bracket doesn't hang over the cabinet. And so I made some of those, um, for this particular build. And then also what I didn't realize was when I made this cabinet, the doors were a lot thicker than I had anticipated. And so believe it or not, if your door is not the right thickness and the track doesn't fall in the middle of the door, um, your door can do one of two things. Either it will lean out because it's too heavy or it will lean in because it's too light. And mine, mine was too heavy. And so it leaned out. So I got creative with it, and what I did was I made some, uh, I called in a favor at uh, a machine shop here in town, and, and so I made some little U-shaped brackets, and one leg was an inch, and then it came out probably about an inch and a half, and then the other leg was maybe about a quarter inch. And then I had two countersunk holes on the longer bracket, and so I was able to just screw it into one of the styles of the cabinet, and I painted it black so it matched the top and put a dado on the bottom of the door and so instead of being instead of like a normal sliding barn door where you actually are able to screw that bracket into the ground i just had some custom brackets made that screwed onto the wall that was next to the door or the side of the cabinet in this case and it actually worked out really well um so it, they're hardly even noticeable and in fact the <laughs> when i got there the client was like was like, oh, this looks so great. And then they, they slid it, and they're like, oh, there's a little bracket here. And I was like, yeah. So I kind of showed them how that worked and everything, and if they wanted to remove the doors and how that worked. And the the guy was kind of – he was happy with it, don't get me wrong, but he was like, oh, I thought it would be like this, and I thought this. And the wife was like, shut up. It was great. <laughs> it was really funny. And I was just kind of – it reminded me of uh, a particular comedian I've heard. It was like happy wife, happy life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like – but she was overjoyed with it, and uh, he was he was really happy with it too. So okay. he was excited to give me some – he's like, I'll get you some pictures as soon as we get it put in place because they had to take their old center out and stuff like that. That's awesome. So I'm excited to get some pictures of that back and then uh, be able to post that in my portfolio. And then the color on that thing turned out a lot better than I anticipated. I used um, some general finishes color, the wood dye. I was going to go with um, – a wood stain but the wood dyes gave me a more vibrant color and almost too vibrant it turned out really red and so i went over it with a walnut stain and it darkened it up and it actually wound up turning out to be a really great color better than i had anticipated write that down yeah i definitely am so <laughs> it was it was crazy but it was like okay so that's kind of the I, it was really kind of fun to be able to play with the stains and i know that they wanted the darker the better kind of thing so yeah. that really worked out and they lo- they loved the color oh that's good and um and then other than that, I didn't get to any two-sided carvings this week. I really didn't even get to run my machine at all this week, which was kind of a bummer. It's okay because uh, the other job that I had going, uh, I sent out some color samples, and I think it was 16 different color samples. And I saw that. Yeah, they were supposed to send back one, and they sent back two. Oh. <laughs> so, I was, so I was like, okay. So I quoted them out for both different – one was a stain and one was a paint. So I was able to give them quotes on both of those, which is really good. And now I'm just waiting to hear back from them and want it to look good. So. Yeah. So it sounds like you were probably more successful with your Fortnite forecast than I was. Yeah, somewhat. I. <laughs> you got things accomplished. <laughs> yeah, I got some stuff accomplished. <laughs> I w- it was it's been hot enough here. I wish I had a big slip and slide. That's for sure. Oh my gosh, I bet, I bet. So let's uh, let's jump into this episode. Yeah, it sounds great. So who are we talking to today, Heidi? We're talking to Greg Jones, who is a writer, he's a blogger, he is a music enthusiast, he's a historian, he's got quite a different array of things that he's into, and he's got a pretty unique story about how he created, but with the help of a friend, how he created his his music review website. And it's really interesting to hear his take on his problem solving, which yeah. you'll hear a little bit about. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear what caused him to kind of keep his ear to the ground, <laughs> pun intended, while uh, he was rifling through a bunch of study material. I really liked his take on just how he got the ball rolling. So let's go ahead and hear that play. Yeah, it sounds great. This is a complicated story, and it 
has involved a lot of hard conversations and a lot of disagreements and a lot of like late nights trying to craft decent content and failing miserably here and there and then having something that for whatever reason 5,000 people run across or you know whatever like like we've got some numbers that are pretty stunning to me that have happened over the years and it's sometimes it's good old gumption and hard work and sometimes it's right place right time which I think any business Mm. would say that I feel like it's important to say I was born and raised in western Pennsylvania and I have a I would call it kind of a blue collar background and I went to Geneva College which is a small liberal arts Christian school a little bit north of Pittsburgh I studied history and I had been interested in history pretty much my whole life I told my parents when I was in something like junior high that I wanted to be a a college professor (laughs) and they said you know you might want to go to college first before you make that jump So I did that, (laughs) and I ended up uh, getting a master's degree in history at Western Carolina, and then I came back closer to home. Uh, In the meantime, I had gotten married to a girl that lived in Ohio, so (laughs) it made sense to get my PhD at Kent State. And so my PhD is in American history, and I specialize in the Civil War in 19th century America. So that's, um, you know, one sort of facet to who I am is I am a history teacher, and in the midst of while I was in graduate school, I was spending lots of time in front of a computer reading and taking notes and writing lectures and that kind of stuff. And I was listening to lots of music and I noticed how repetitive and boring most most of the music people know really was. So I, I started using Last.fm and Pandora, you know, those typical streaming platforms to find music. And I started finding independent artists and it was kind of that. <laughs> as a byproduct of my work as a historian that made me say, there's no easy way to find good music. Like these streaming platforms are mostly giving me things I don't want to listen to. It would be really nice if I could find better music. And so it was kind of the combination of the two. So now my day-to-day life is a combination of working, facilitating these history classes, grading papers, grading essays, responding to dis- discussion posts. And at the same time, I can you know, do that for a few hours and then I can jump over and do blog work and write an album review or d- work on discovering music. All the hard work of running a small business of emailing people and trying to secure ads and trying to set up coverage. And if I want to cover an artist live, at a show, I have to contact their PR people. And so it's a, an interesting mix of doing a little bit of writing, a little bit of critiquing, and trying to bring together two worlds that really aren't connected. You know, I'm not a musicologist, I don't actually study music for my profession, but I have an opportunity to enjoy music and write about it using the writing skills that I, I think I honed in graduate school. Well, let's take it a couple of steps back to the point where it actually originated. So you started to kind of go into the need that you saw, at least just for yourself, if not for everybody else, and what it was like to say, okay, well, if I need this, then obviously other people do. And from what I remember, you had actually been kind of bouncing this idea off of a friend of yours too, to kind of identify how you would curate something like this. Right. And, and like most bad decisions, it started with a dare, right? <laughs> um, I was, I was with a friend of mine and um, we were in a car ride together and we were, I, I believe it was my car and I had a good old war CD in and I played that and my friend was like, oh, you know, that's pretty cool. Have you ever heard of Fleet Foxes? Which of course I had. And I was like, yes, but how do you know who these people are? And, you know, cause this was before either one of those bands was massive. And so I was like, uh, I don't know. I found them on last FM. And so we started talking about how we both like the same kind of sort of indie folk music. And I still to the, you know, I can't remember who said it, but one of us said we should start a blog. And the other one was like, okay, let's do it. But I'm used to having friends who, you know, it's like every friend that wants to like, let's go to Vegas. And you're like, yeah, that's a great idea. But then you never actually go to Vegas. But we actually did start a blog. We started it with this WordPress platform, just a free site. We just threw together whatever we could that literally was free. We used a Gmail account and just 
I think we had on our launch day, which was June 1st in 2011, on our launch day, we, we had something like five, maybe six posts. We were like, let's, let's make them all go live at once. And then we told everybody we knew, which is not that many people and crossed our fingers and hoped that somebody would read it. But at the heart of it was, I wanted to share music with my friend who was interested in the same music as me. And we thought if anybody reads it along the way, great. And what we found was after a few weeks, a good number of people were reading it and people were starting to follow us on our social platforms because they wanted to continue to watch it grow. And that was really interesting because we were both kind of like, like my friend at the time was, uh, was teaching like a preschool class and I was a graduate student and we were like, why would anybody care what we have to say about music? You know, there, it's one thing to have an, a successful musician who starts a podcast or has a blog because they've earned the right to speak into that. And we didn't, but, but people were immediately interested. And, you know, part of it was the, the public relations people for bands that really latched onto us. And they were, they started sending us albums to our email address saying, here, will you cover this band? Will you cover that band? And we're like, whoa, we, maybe? <laughs> we didn't have any kind of process for dealing with that. And we would just like listen to these submissions and most of them were not very good to us. They weren't what we were interested in. So we had to find a way to deal with this whole separate problem. Now it wasn't, how do you find a, a good song out there? Now it's, we've got all this music coming in. What do we do with it? You know, we do have a mission statement and we want our we want music fans to find great new music and we want artists to find great new fans you know so that that symbiotic relationship as jake said and and that's what it's all about like if we stay true to that mission we're helping two different sets of people achieve what they want you know people like me who just love music and want to hear the next good thing they can email subscribe and they can follow along and they're going to get 30 tracks a week that have already been curated for them and they might not love them all Maybe you're an electro pop person and you're not going to like my sappy singer songwriters that I post and that's okay, but you're going to get a handful of, of electro pop. That's going to be really exciting and really engaging for you. And that for that artist who only has a handful of followers, or even if they have 500 or a thousand followers, but to get another 50, that's huge. And, and so for us to be able to help two different sets of people in the process has been it's really rewarding. So the ones that we found that were good, we wanted to find more like that. You know, so we're using the algorithms to find other things. You know, I, for example, I remember hearing Dustin Kensruth from Thrice, and so okay, you know, he's already massively successful, but he had done some some work on the side as a solo artist, and I listened to that, really liked it, and by following that algorithm, that you know, I was listening to Kensruth's music, and I found Matthew Mayfield and Noah Gunderson. And those are two of the guys that are like marquee names for the kind of music that we cover on, on Ear to the Ground. Those are the things that sort of help to stamp out what our brand was going to look like. It's not as if we're putting out music from a radio station or something like that. Like people are choosing to click on our website. And so we have to have a, a certain sound or a certain style about what we're producing or else people will say, well, you know, I don't want to listen to hip hop. I don't want to listen to rap. I don't want to listen to modern country music for that matter. Like there are different styles that wouldn't resonate with what we're putting together. So in those early days, it was kind of about figuring out how do we find music? And then when we were getting submissions, how do we decide what is worth covering and what isn't? And one thing that might be important to say in terms of biography you know, I did grow up a musician. I played trumpet for 10 years and at a fairly decent level and I played in college and whatnot. And so, so I always felt like I had a tuned ear, learning how to take that tuned ear and apply it to what other people were producing and have the confidence in saying whether it's good or not. Not everyone's going to love what we're doing. Not everyone's going to love the kind of music that we're supporting, but if we can set it up in such a way that the majority of people who are already inclined to like this music, like the way that we're curating it, then that's a win. 
So when you were looking for like a method for your curation and your website design and kind of finding that style, did you have any influences in particular that you could point out? That's my favorite. One of my favorite questions to ask an artist is like, so you listen to Bob Dylan, right? You know, like every artist has a good influence, but I actually don't read very many music blogs, you know, certainly not regularly. I'll go and read things here and there, especially when there's something newsworthy happening, but I don't have a specific music blog influence, but I would like to think that I take the experiences that I have as a teacher and as somebody who's been sifting through media on my own for a really long time. And like I mentioned earlier, like kind of having, having a calibrated ear, I like to think that I take those things and apply them to the music that I receive. And some of the things I've been doing over the last few years is trying to read more about business itself. And so I've been reading books that are formative in thinking about how do you build a sustainable business model when the primary thing that you're selling is essentially free. I mean, I know that's not necessarily on the creative influence side, but it is something that I've given a lot of thought to each dimension of this project. There's the design and web side of things. There's the writing creativity side of things. And there's the business side of things. And, and I, so I have to take in influencers in all of those areas. Well, it definitely sounds like it, it can be challenging, right? So you have a normal day job where you have a, a specific income, but yet you've got this passion to the side where you're going, well, how do I fund the cost of having the bandwidth to do this? How do I fund my time? How do I fund the expense of having a website name. So how did you find a way to fund, even even if you're at the beginnings, how have you discovered a way to fund it? So there are a few different stages to this story of, of what made it work. Uh, you know, So like I said, we started all free. Everything was free. Of course, it was a hobby, so we weren't compensating our labor. We were just doing that for fun. And when it was check uh, two or three emails a day and go on Bandcamp or SoundCloud or wherever. There was a there was a website at the time called uh, uh, it was called Spinner. I don't know where they came up with that, but it would literally put like ten or twelve new albums up every week, and I would wait until that day. It was like a record store day thing, you know. And I would go and I would like find the ones that were loosely in our genres, and I would click play, and if they were good, I would cover them. And I did that for a while. And then Bandcamp was really helpful because I was finding truly independent artists. But again, all of this was for fun. It was for free. And as more and more PR mailers started coming in and, and it was the, the ledger was becoming more work and less fun and no money to show for it. And that was getting difficult. So this was actually kind of a breaking point for the organization because you know, I sat down at a table with my that, my co-founder and then two of our writers, and we sort of talked about how difficult things were getting and how are we going to keep up with it. And I said, we need to find a way to make money. I think we're all going to burn out. We're going to hate music, and I don't ever want that to happen. So let's find a way to do this. And of the people at the table, a few were interested in that and a few weren't. And so that sort of took the company, if you will, in a new direction, and it started to become a company. My business partner now is a guy named Matt Simon. We met out here in Northeast Ohio, and uh, when, you know, he initially came on board as somebody who was just writing for us for free, right? He was doing the same thing, but as we sorted out who was interested in being involved and who was not, he was the one that said, yes, let's find a way to make money. And at that point, we had sold a handful of ads and they weren't real great contracts, right? We were getting people who were sending us money via PayPal to put an ad somewhere on our site. And sometimes they were more reputable links than others. And we didn't, you know, t totally like compromise on our morals or anything, but th there were definitely, it wasn't sustainable, but it paid the bills a few times and allowed us to, it, it allowed us to realize that a website is a valuable thing. 
and we were moving up, you know, page rank and that kind of thing for different topics and, and different keywords. So we knew that we were building value, but we didn't know how to make that income regular. And then, you know, it sounds like the punchline to a joke, but we received an email from a South African businessman. <laughs> and literally this email, we opened it up and this guy, uh, his name's Jason Grishkoff, and he runs a company called Submit Hub. But the other thing that Jason Grishkoff does is he runs a massive uh, music blog called Indie Shuffle. And Indie Shuffle, you've probably been to it and didn't even, you know. So at that point, we were getting about 40 emails a day from all these PR firms and bands trying to get us to cover their music. And it was really irritating. And, and Indie Shuffle is probably 100 times bigger than we are if you just look at sheer numbers, maybe even 1,000 times. I don't know. He's a much bigger site. So I don't know how many more emails he was getting, but it was a lot. But the thing that Jason had that we didn't have was the ability to code. So he coded this platform that basically said, hey, instead of sending us an email that we're probably going to delete without ever opening because we don't have time to open all these emails, here we'll give you an opportunity to listen. We will guarantee that we will listen to your music. And so the, that business model was you can send it to us for free. We will listen to it and make a yes or no decision. Or you can pay a little bit, like a dollar for the song. And then the blog will either say, yes, we want to cover it, or no, we don't. But the money was split between SubmitHub and the blogger. So instead of making a lot of money on one big ad sale, we were able to start making a little bit of money on every submission that we got. But it's pretty darn cool to own your own business, set your own hours, and be making, even if it's just a little bit of money, to be able to cover costs and, and take a little bit home. And if you look at it from the band's perspective, they were really happy too. Because what was happening before was they spend all this time and money investing in recording a song and what do they need? They need listeners. They need the song to get out there to lots of people. And at the point that we got, we found Submit Hub, I think we had about a thousand social followers between, you know, probably like 500 on Facebook and 500 on Twitter. So we weren't massive, but we were big enough that we could help an artist because we were putting their music in front of a thousand people. I think it's a really cool tool that helps everybody in the process because PR firms were making money before and artists, if they were successful, were able to make money before, but bloggers were not able to make anything before. And it was just, we were the ones that were supposed to do this as a passion project. And obviously like, I love what I do. And of course it's a passion, but that's time that I'm taking away from my real job. And it's time that I'm taking away from my, my family and other obligations that I have. So to be able to carve out a little bit of compensation for it, I thought was a fair deal for everyone. And the people that complain aren't the artists. <laughs> well, that's, that's really interesting to hear how you're able to just kind of like stack the income instead of like traditionally, you know, getting a contract with someone to just blast their ad across your page or whatever can be very disruptive for what you're actually trying to do. So the fact that you, you found SubmitHub that basically understands what you're trying to accomplish yeah, it's like a symbiotic relationship that actually mm-hmm. works for both the, um, the the artists and the bloggers, and it seems like that. I mean, it just seems really neat to be able to do that and benefit both, and without having to do something that's completely abstract, such as just selling ad space or something that may not be related to uh, the interest. When you look back at your last few years, is there something like someone that came to you and said, will you review my music or maybe a review that you did that lit the fire into something else that was a huge milestone for you guys? Is there anything like that that you can think of? There are a few things along the way that were pretty, pretty significant in terms of motivating me to keep going. I think, you know, obviously finding Submit Hub was a major milestone because it allowed us to make things economically viable. But I I had a conversation with a singer-songwriter named Noah Gunderson uh, several years ago. And I I think that was one on the creative side that really helped me because, uh, you know, he's based in in Seattle and he's a a remarkable singer-songwriter, pretty close to my age. And he had a, a church background and then sort of wrestled with some questions of faith and, and that sort of art, meeting faith meeting becoming an independent artist sort of all collided in this 
persona. And I mean, he was somebody that I found on Last FM, right? Like way back in the early days. So when I got a chance to, well, I, I emailed his PR people and said, hey, can I interview Noah Gunderson? And they said, sure. I was like, whoa, this is cool. You know, it was, it was neat to just get into his show for free, let alone to sit down and talk with him. And uh, I, I interviewed him at a venue nearby in Akron called Musica. And we just chatted in the green room, you know, backstage for like an hour about all sorts of different things, like how you know, what inspires his music and how he got to where he was at. And uh, it was just really eye-opening and really helpful to me to talk to somebody like that who was also pursuing his passion just in a different way. And to have him say, you know, he had tweeted previous to that, he had tweeted that a piece that I wrote about him was, I think what he said was, it was either one of the most true or the most accurate. It just said it was a really helpful piece. And I mean, he let me know that his music, he saw a movement in the numbers on his music because we had covered him. And that was super meaningful to me because when I see the stats, I don't always know how much we're influencing an artist and, and how much we're helping them get fans. But to hear him say like, thanks for what you do, because people like me need people like you. That was that was huge in motivating me to keep doing it because on the hard days when you're not finding music of that quality and you're finding lots of stuff that you think, eh, this is fine, but it's just not inspiring. It doesn't light a fire under me. It can be a slog and you start to think, I'm not even making very much money doing this. Why am I doing this? Like there's a thousand other things I could be doing right now. And then you have a moment like that where it just sort of clicks like, yes. This, this is a person who's explaining why we do what we do back to me in a way that is, is really helpful. And I hate to keep using the word inspiring, but it just was, it was an inspiring moment. You know, like one of our sort of crowning moments was we covered Jason Isbell, the you know, you know, Grammy winning Americana artist. There was a, a, a video that he did with his wife, Amanda Shires, that I covered and he retweeted it. So that was like the biggest day in ear to the ground history. We got like over 3000 views just because of the power of Jason Isbell's retweet, which is really awesome, but that's a flash in the pan. And, and so as, as nice as it is to, to rattle off moments like that, oh, Noah Gunderson tweeted us or so-and-so follows us on Twitter, so-and-so commented or whatever, uh, the difference between that versus like actual benchmarks in in a business those are kind of two different things are there some goals in the that y'all have set for the future well yes uh i think at this point stay you know staying alive is one of the major goals to keep the the level that we're at because 2017 was better than 2016 and so far so good 2018 is beating out 2017 so I don't want to I don't have a big plan um, there's there's not something like that that's like and, and here we're gonna roll out the global headquarters or something I mean it's still gonna be small it's still gonna be keeping on what we're doing but for example we have uh, an ebook that's in process that will hopefully be out in the next few months and I would love to be able to add some staffing. We've been talking about this off and on for the last few years. Like I'm not the best qualified person to handle tech. And so now that we have a little bit more liquid capital, it would be really nice to, to have somebody who's a tech person on hand so that when we have issues, we can go to that person. It'd be really nice to have a graphics person available who can step in. And, and so having those kinds of folks as a part of our team I know I can curate music and I know I can write about music, but there are certain skills that I can't do. I'm doing them now because I have to, but that's what I think natural growth in a business looks like is that you start taking the things that you're not quite as good at and have other people do them because they are good at it. And I would love for ear to the ground to be more connected to uh, other creatives. That's one of the reasons why I like being in touch with Heidi because just finding out what Slap Stuff Together is doing is inspiring to me. And it's also just neat to be like a part of a group of creatives who are doing exciting things because, you know, I might not have a, a super budget, but it would be pretty cool if I could hire a graphic artist to do a project here and there. 
And there might be people out there who run across ear to the ground because of this podcast or because they uh, know one of the artists that we cover or something like that. And then they come to see what we're doing and, and it inspires them in, in a completely different way. So that makes absolute sense. And I, I think one of the things that what you said about interconnectivity of all these different creatives, it's, it's really important. And understanding what those relationships can do for you too. Like what, what can I offer you that maybe I can't pay you for, but that you can give me something in kind, you know, those kind of things like make it a little bit easier for smaller businesses and having those network potential opportunities too. Let's get back to the art of what got you started. And that is listening to the music and a kind of thinking about it in a way that you could actually write a review. When you receive a new musician that you hadn't heard before, what kind of things go through your mind before you even pop the the disc in or click play on your computer? That's a really good question. And I, I think, um, you know, I don't, I don't have like a prep routine or anything like that, but what you can tell a lot in the very beginning parts of a song. You can tell the genre, you can tell the mood, you can tell the recording quality. And even in the first few lines of somebody's vocal, you can hear whether there's any soul in it, whether there's any heart in it. And when I feel deeply moved by a song, it has something powerful in it. And I know that when I share that with other people, they're going to feel it too. And I, I think that's when somebody can capture that it factor, you know, I hate to use that term, but they have it, they have that quality it will come through and it does come through and it's so exciting. It's so that like, that's the thing that drives me is the one in like our acceptance rate is 8% of all the submissions that we get. And the, the ones that are really that good are a fraction of that fraction. And it's so rare when you hear something and you know, like I, I have over ear headphones that I wear and I'll have this moment where I just sort of like stare off into space, like, oh my gosh, what is this? And sometimes I have to stop the song and put the headphones down because I'm just like blown away by something that is at that completely next level. And then I listen to it a couple of times, you know, I just like marinate in it because I know how rare those moments are. It stirs in your soul. Like when you have a song that can make you think about people that you knew 20 years ago, songs that can make you remember your first kiss or songs that can make you remember like getting dumped, you know, like these songs that like find these emotional places for you and rip you open. Like that's what I'm looking for. And if you can do that and have it sound good too, that's, that's the point. But I guess that's a long winded way of saying I'm not sitting there measuring out technical proficiency. That's not what I'm good at. That's not what I'm listening for. I'm listening for a song that has spirit to it, that has soul to it, that can move me. And therefore I know it will move other listeners. That is uh, our readers. And like, I, I love when I have a moment and I've actually, I've shared music with you, Heidi, this way where, you know, I'll listen to a song, <laughs> our big secret, sorry. But I'll have this moment where I'll listen to a song and I'll be like, Heidi would love this. Like, because I know enough about your music taste because we've known each other for a long time. You know, I sort of have categories in my mind that I'll hear something and think, yes, this is not only really good, but I know exactly who will love this and what, you know, in some ways why they will love it. And I don't know where that came from. I don't know what that really is either, but um, I like that I have an outlet that allows me to use that. Sure. If someone does send something that does trigger those emotions for you and you are moved to write a review. When you're writing, do you think about the Heidi over there that would really love this and how do I explain to them this thing? Or do you have a person in mind that you're talking to? In terms of background, like I had written some some movie reviews in the past, but I hadn't really written a lot of music reviews. And when I first sat down, I thought, so what is a good music review supposed to do? And I think I think what I'm trying to accomplish is to describe for our readers, whoever that is. I mean, and when I'm listening, I, I'm not necessarily writing to one specific person, but I'm trying to explain how does the song hit me that makes it worth coverage. And that's a point that we haven't gone over yet, but is worth mentioning. We don't write negative reviews. 
If somebody sends music that we don't like, we just say no thank you. And and even if it's a big name PR firm that sends us a, a, a known artist, if we don't like it, we just say no thank you. And that way, everything that we're writing about, it gives me an, an automatic perspective that I'm saying, why is this album worth your time? This might be some a place where a little bit of my professional training as a historian, as somebody who works with with texts and interpretation does come into play as well, because I'm able to kind of explain as a cultural historian what you're hearing, some of the imagery and that kind of thing. So uh, that's what I'm attempting to do is explain the music in a way. I always say that writing about music is a bit like dancing about art. You know, it just doesn't feel like a, it should make sense, but it, it, I found that it does help some people. I'm kind of curious, since so much time has elapsed since you had started listening to music while you were studying and looking for that, uh, you know, always trying to find new music on different in different avenues. So currently, how much of the model that that you currently have is still that hunt process? Ooh, ah, as you probably know, like when you're running a small business, what actually takes up your time versus what what mm-hmm. you want to have take up your time are not always the same thing. I would say, so the process, we just call it processing submissions as a neutral way of saying going through the heap. Um, that that <laughs> processing submissions is, is the hunt, but it doesn't have that, it's almost like a controlled hunt. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like I'm out in the wild, you know, stalking my prey. I feel <laughs> a little bit more like they're running towards me as a herd and I have to find like the best one to pull out of the herd. So it, it's a little bit of a different process, but I do still experience the the rush of finding something. And every once in a while we'll get a submission and I'll click on it and I'll go to their SoundCloud and they have 10, 12, 15 plays. And I think, oh my goodness, this is like their grandma and a couple cousins and their high school friends. Like that's it. That's the only people who've ever heard this. And I click play and it's amazing. And I know that from the time I put that on the website for the next 48 hours or however long, I'm going to see that number go up and up and up. And I will know that that was our website, like our work that helped that person get to 100. If someone else had the same kind of drive, you know, they find themselves in the situation of uh, listening to music and wanting to write about it. uh, How would you suggest somebody else kind of get started? Uh, Okay, so... I've actually written a little bit on this, on you know how to get a start in music blogging, and I think the the main thing is if if you want to to write about music as a as a passion, it's something that you genuinely love, then go for it. If you're looking at it as a business opportunity, I would say don't bother. It, it it's not going to pay off. There are far more lucrative things to pursue. But if this is something that you genuinely have a heart for music and you like to write, then Write about what you love and seek out the music that you love. Contact bands because they will be thrilled. If you send an email to a band and say, hey, I, I listened to your music on Bandcamp or SubmitHub or whatever, and I really liked it, could I write about you? They will be over the moon. They will reply right away. They're super excited about that. My advice is write things that don't exist. Okay, so don't do another review of some top 40 band. Nobody's going to read that. It's going to get lost in the Google page rank. Find that local band. Find somebody who has written something that's off the beaten path. Contact the artist and do an artist feature. I mean, there are a lot of decent-sized artists that we have the only artist interview with them. We have the only full feature on their music. So when people Google them, they find us. And so there's a certain level, and that's what we call them emerging artists. There are these people that they're on the rise, but they haven't taken off yet. It's like the stock market. You don't you don't invest you don't invest in Google right now. They're all they're not you know it's already at the top. You invest in the next Google. So you find those artists that are in that in that sort of you hear the potential in their music and you know that people are going to love them and reach out to them. Send that free email and they'll be thrilled. Then you set up a Skype call and ask them questions about their music. They'll talk forever. You write down what's good. You write up an interview, clip it, put it out there, and they will send however many fans they have. Maybe it's 500, maybe it's 1,000, maybe it's 2,000. And all those fans who are diehard fans of that band will send them all to your site. So my advice is create original content and make sure that you're posting regularly. It doesn't matter if it's once a week or once a day, even once a month. Just make sure that you have a schedule 
and you stick to it, you're reliable. When you write, you have to let your passion for what you're doing come through. If you're the kind of creative that works off of inspiration, then when you're inspired, do work. Create a backlog. Yeah, create a backlog and schedule it for every Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock in the morning to be posted and, and make it work for your schedule and how you operate. You know, if you can only write on Sunday nights, then gosh darn it, write three posts on Sunday night, schedule them for the week, and next Sunday night you'll be all charged up and ready to go again. That is solid advice. So let's say people wanted to reach out and find you. Uh, where where they find you at? Sure. So the website itself is eartothegroundmusic.co, and there's plenty of contact links there. Um, Ear to the Ground has a, a Twitter page, which is ear to the underscore ground. We have a Facebook page, Ear to the Ground Music. That should be pretty easy to find. We're on Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. I'm personally on LinkedIn, if you'd like to look me up there. Um, uh, if you're interested in the history professor side of things, uh, send me a message through Ear to the Ground, and we can talk about that too. But Cool. It is great to hear a different side of things uh, in contrast to the basis that we talked to last weekend. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's it's cool to, to hear both sides or experience both sides of this creative process. Yeah, there's two sides to every coin. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. You guys have a lot of heart, and you really obviously have been very passionate about making this work. Well, Greg, thank you so much. I know you've got your, your kids kind of trying to stay quiet in the background, right? So we'll let you... We'll let you get loose to them, but thank you again. Cool. Heidi, that was a pretty good episode, I thought. I liked the interview with Greg. I, th I thought it went really well, and uh, I kind of liked how simple his advice was, was seek out local people, local bands that you would want to interview. What would you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, the story that he told, you could essentially be – the first person outside of someone's family or, or circle of friends that finds someone's music and amplify it to a point where, you know, more than, you know, the 15 to 100 listens now have gained to a thousand listens because maybe you have a thousand followers. Yeah, the symbiotic relationship. I didn't realize it was so um, as it is, basically. But yeah, I didn't realize how many emails they would get. And, you know, I can only imagine being on the other end of that and just getting hundreds of upon hundreds of emails daily from all different genres and types and size right. files of songs and everything and people asking you to review their music and i can only imagine that that's a daunting task and to try to be polite to the hundreds of people to you know r respond to every single one it was interesting when he was like before it was i had to go fishing and now it's like the herd is coming to me and deciphering, you know, what what's offerable to the people that follow my writing. Yeah, it was really cool. It was, yeah. it was great to see. Yeah. So, Jake, we've got a uh, Fortnite forecast for the next two weeks. What do you project you're going to be doing? Oh, snap. And will you be as successful? <laughs> I hope so. Um, well, we're uh, we're still on Baby Watch, so hopefully that doesn't happen in the next two weeks. The doc said we got two more weeks, and then the kids like super viable and it wouldn't be a big deal if he came then so that's that's our that's our big hope knock on wood or particle mm -hmm. board but um that's the one of the things the next thing is i just today got a rush job for an emergency buffalo which uh the the gentleman that contacted me he's a really cool guy who does uh wooden flags locally here and he got an order for a Wyoming flag, and he wants to try and see if we can get that seal actually engraved into a piece of plywood that he can paint. Aww. So the the buffalo shape uh, that we're going to cut out will be pretty simple. You could do it with a jigsaw, but I'm probably going to wind up doing it with the CNC so I can get a real good crisp cut with it. And then uh, I'm going to see if I can take a 90-degree V-bit and actually engrave the uh, the state seal inside the buffalo otherwise the flag is pretty simple it's just a bunch of rectangular uh, colored borders and so it, it seems like it'd be a fun challenge and he needs it in two days so oh my gosh so that's um that's why it's an emergency buffalo and i'm still working 10 hour days so i've got a couple of evenings to try to figure it out yeah I'd say. <laughs> emergency buffalo i think that's a new code word for us yep I got this emergency buffalo going on. <laughs>
So I don't think I'm gonna paint that. I think I'm gonna leave that up to him, so I don't can't get the colors wrong. And then, uh, other than that, I I think it's just really actually cleaning the shop. That's gonna be a big thing on my to do list. Uh, we're gonna be doing some rearranging here to get ready for the baby. I, I'm actually kind of excited to move my desk. <laughs> It'd be a good chance to clean everything. We're gonna go uh, in that moving furniture. We're gonna go grab a dresser that's in storage right now, and uh, I guess I should post a picture of it on my Instagram. But I have a uh, a piece that I made for our first son that actually just slides on top of the dresser. It's a change. It turns the dresser into a changing table without like damaging the dresser in any way. So it was really mm-hmm. it was really nice to be able to change this dresser into a changing table. That's a little bit taller than normal changing tables, I guess. But my wife and I are both tall, so it doesn't matter. And then um, for the, and then when the kids get older, we can just take the changing table off and sell it or something, and then uh, the kids can use it as a dresser. So that's actually kind of exciting. And I guess I'll, th- I'll take some pictures of that and throw it up on my Instagram. I think it's probably my first picture on Instagram, so <laughs> it's due for a repost. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's all that's all I got on my forecast for the next oh, couple weeks. Oh, that's all you got. Yeah, the baby just, coming couple of things no big deal a super rushed buffalo project yeah my turn <laughs> raise your hand so on my list tomorrow i am going to pick up the supplies for my pottery so i, I ran out of clay um probably about a week and a half two weeks ago and so i haven't done any throwing and i was waiting to get paid uh for a couple of commissions that i finished up a couple of weeks ago and I actually was able to sell some pottery on our trip. So that meant that I could splurge a little bit extra and buy some new glazes to experiment with. So I'll be doing a lot of throwing and mixing glazes and those kind of things. So I'll probably, I, I've been trying to do some like Instagram stories or Instagram lives or YouTube lives while I'm throwing and things to answer questions for people. So it'll be nice to get back to that. I haven't done that since like, I don't know, end of spring. I, I did want to give an update on the uh, molds that I was making out of the Lego cups. Oh, yeah. Uh, my plaster failed. Oh, yeah. You were worried about that last yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So I, I had talked a little bit about it being really, really humid here. And the plaster that I chose to use isn't exactly made for casting purposes. It's just like yeah. plaster you pick up from... Lowe's or Home Depot and um because it took so long to cure or it took so long to dry it's really brittle and if you know like when you're doing a mold you you basically you cast one side and then you cast the other side well I only cast I only spent time casting one side and that took like six days for it to cure completely and and dry solid and then it, it it was just like really crumbly so I ordered some proper casting plaster that'll be in in a couple of weeks. Back to square one with that. I'd like to, it probably won't be till next Fortnite update that I'll be actually doing that again. Um, unfortunately, but I'm kind of bummed because I was really excited for that project. But as you know, like anytime you try something new, there's always opportunities for failure, right? Um, what, how, do, how do they phrase that? A, uh, a learning opportunity? <laughs> or opportunity to, opportunity for education a teachable moment yeah that's what they call it teachable moment you just have lots of teachable I moments i do i i mean i have them every day i it's it's yeah. crazy uh especially like 3d printing you, you you stumble a lot with that with like bed adhesion and then you you learn that how to switch out the the material in the middle of a print run and like uh i don't know if you saw dan the maker man he picked up his first 3d printer and I did. He didn't have a successful, a real success. Like he did the basic successful print, but then he tried to print something else yeah. that he really wanted, and it took him like three attempts. But he kept at it, and now he's got this like really cool bust that he busted out. <laughs> the Deadpool, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It turned out. Yeah, good. I saw that. Yeah, it was pretty cool. He does some. Pretty, uh, it's cool to see um, more and more of the people in the maker community kind of getting into fields that they're not familiar with. Or like the generalist maker, so to speak. So it's it's cool. I saw uh, Evan and Caitlin recently got in a welder. Oh, <laughs> so cool! That would be very yeah. If you haven't seen some of their other videos, it's been really funny to watch uh, Evan in fire. Oh no! <laughs> he's very, he's very scary when he has a flame. Is he a pyromaniac? Yeah, I think a little bit. So it'll be very interesting to see him with a welder. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. I was playing with a bubble machine, and I challenged them to try and come up with a bubble machine. We'll see if they do something with that. Nice. It'd be interesting. You know, 
you know where they're at right now. Did you see that? No, I, I've been I've been out of the loop. I didn't have internet like all last week, uh, and then I didn't have internet because we were traveling. Man, just completely off the grid. Yeah, it was weird being a YouTuber and an Instagram <laughs> person to not have internet was challenging. Yeah, I recently saw that they were at um they're visiting with uh Bill Duran Bill Duran and um Punish Props Academy. Yeah, I guess we're kind of kind of in the shout outs portion so. of our we didn't we didn't officially <laughs> call it that, but let's uh let's cue up the sound. So is there anybody else that you gotta you wanna shout out? Uh yeah, actually I'm really excited for Fools of Tools. They just hit their one year mark which is really exciting. And they've grown tremendously and they have their own Patreon and they have their own uh, Facebook group that's really active and a lot of fabulous members that um, have just been really cool to hang out with and talk to and, and share our stuff. And, you know, all of us fools in the community, we're having a blast. Yeah, I think, I think Brett grew a whole half inch. Hey, maybe. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a little bit taller. Yeah. Maybe just standing a little <laughs> taller. Maybe he's a little happier. New boots. It's I bet that's what it is. New... I bet he's got the Carolinas. <laughs> that sounds like a disease. I got the Carolinas. Is that um, anything like Bofus? <laughs> yeah, actually, I've been watching the, the, the Fool Fly series that they oh, put man, out, and awesome. I've been super, super fanboy about it really digging the series that they came up with and just like the fact that it's not just one or two of them it's about like six it's of like them the i think it is and yeah it's awesome and i just i love the dedication to the the costumes and the fact that it's not taken too seriously mm-hmm. it's basically just you know people who are a fan of the firefly series throwing quotes out dressing up like you know cosplay and then just making props from the series which is the oh it's like nerdiness mecca yeah and it's just great i just like that it's not super serious yeah. um moonshine metalworks alice hack shack and then it's gonna be i jessup it's also crafts with ellen ellen is uh she plays uh kaylee which is like the ship's mm. mechanic and then uh the red smith the, uh, yeah, the, so the Red Smith, I think, is Jane. I'm not sure. Not everybody's kind of appeared in the series yet, but um, I do know that... Al's not Jane? Maybe it's Al. I can't I can't get them straight. They're I, all fools over there. I don't, I don't know <laughs> yet, because like, you were coaching me through watching the first like six episodes, so, so I, I haven't quite made it to the end of the series. Yeah, so Brett is definitely Captain Mal, and then I Jessup is doing um, River. I guess we'll just kind of find out who the rest of the characters are because they're all in the opening sequence of the the title, but I'm not sure. It doesn't really say who's which character, so it'll be really cool to see how it all unfolds. And um, I've just I've gotten overly excited about it. So, do we have any listener shoutouts while we're while we're shouting out? So one of the shoutouts that I have is Brian from Fix It, Make It, Break It. He uh, left us a review on iTunes. It's titled, Great Dynamic and Very Interesting. I already love this podcast, and it's just getting started. The dynamic between Heidi and Jake is wonderful. I can't wait to see what topics they bring to the table and which amazing guests they will feature. So thank you so much, Brian, at Fix It, Make It, Break It. Yeah, that's super awesome. I We really appreciate all the listeners. I mean, I think at this point, as of this recording, we have like almost 300 listens between the the two teasers and the two episodes, which to me is just like phenomenal. SoundCloud actually tells you who is your top listener. And right now the Urban Forge, uh, Tim Cunningham is sitting at the top of the list for our most listens. I was going to say, I've been, I started following him on Instagram. I super cool stuff that he does over there. Yeah. He's an amazing teacher and just so genuinely kind we were on our way to Cleveland a couple of months ago for a maker meetup and he invited us to his house and he got to, we got to talk to him about metalworking and teaching and he was doing falconeering kind of stuff. So he's the falconer, man. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah, I encourage anybody to go check him out on Instagram. It's His handle over there is the underscore urban underscore forge. Good people. He's part of the Fool's crew. If you're interested in any of the podcasts or any of the um, Facebook groups that we've mentioned today, I will put them on the website link in the show notes so you can have those. We'll also have show liner notes for our friend Greg at Ear to the Ground, where you can review some of his reviews. 
and um, hopefully find some music that you otherwise wouldn't have even known about because of the volume of music that is out there. His lists are carefully curated, and there are several different genres you can pick from. So definitely, if you are interested in having some music for your background listening, go check out Ear to the Ground Music and just sign up for their RS feed, and you'll be able to hear all kinds of new stuff. Hopefully, by listening to Greg talk about his beginnings and his current state, will help you to decide whether or not it's something that you'd be interested in digging into. And if not, he's always willing to talk about history. And that's an interview for the history books. (laughs) Dad jokes.